This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome, everyone, to Rockin' Nation Podcast. Uh, my name is Sam Stilling. We are here for a brand spanking new episode of Dive Cuts. I believe this is season four, episode 18. Uh, with me, as always, our friend, uh, big Jesse Newell supporter, and uh, an all-around good guy, Matt. Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? Uh, I-, I feel great. Um, great. I'm just so glad that, that Jesse has ranked Missouri now. 25th and Missouri fans will now respect him and they will leave him alone and 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 just not pester him anymore they're gonna handle this I feel like they need to direct all of their uh hate and ridicule towards the the be predict guy or whatever that like I don't even know who that guy is but I even said on Twitter the other night I don't know if you saw it like I have a lot of respect for Jesse I think his method, while I kind of disagree with it, like I'm glad he sticks with it. Uh, I do think that there need to be a lot more voters who who do look at metrics. I just think Jesse's kind of misapplying the metrics. But that's fine. Like I don't I don't hate on the guy. We had a respectful conversation, and and I like what he said. The other guy was just like an asshole, and he just like keeps getting more mad and more mad. And Mizzou fans, all they do is post pictures of Gonzo Martin, which I think is hilarious. Uh, but as I as I said on Twitter, like if if he'd have handled it at all, like like Newell did with a little bit of grace, like this would be, be over. But he's he went into his bunker and he, he you know he cried and whined and uh, and now the, the the smoke just keeps filling the room for him. So. Uh, I don't mind it. I don't mind it at all. You, you sort of reap what you sow. Oh, other than that, I'm I, I'm I feel just fine at this point. <laughs> the, well, Missouri, the... Missouri. So AP poll came out today. Uh, Missouri was ranked tenth, um, which is kind of cool. Top ten. Um, another sort of kicker for Mizzou fans uh, is the fact that. Uh, your most hated rival, Kansas, fell out of the AP poll for like the first time since like 2009. Like that's crazy, crazy. So, like the like the other thing is like people stunting on KU <laughs> without ignoring the fact that they'd been in the poll for a dozen years. 
Like, I get, like, I saw Mark's tweet, like, we should hang up, like, the Mizzou's ranking and then, like, show that Kansas is in the receiving votes category. No, that just confirms what Kansas fans say all the time, which is, like, Missouri's just happy to be here and KU is, like, a, a fixture. If When a program's won, like, 13 conference titles in a row and hasn't left the AP Top 25 in a dozen years... Like, I get, like, schadenfreude and we get, and, like, rivalries. But just understand that when you're ripping on Kansas, there's, they're fine. They've had a lot of, there's a lot of achievements in the last dozen years that they can console themselves with. So, it, and it's one of those years, too, where I, I think you're seeing the impact of what the investigation into the program to the West has, oh, is reaping for them. Yeah. Like, this is a good core that you put around two other really good dudes. <laughs> yeah. Like, and if, if KU's if, wrecking shop. If you're building, yeah, if you're, if you're building your roster around, you know, and, and no offense to Parker's brother, but like, you know, Christian Brown and uh, Ochai Agbaji and, and guys like that who, you know, I, would be more than happy if those guys were on Missouri's roster. I think they're, they're really good players. Um, but I also don't think if they are, even if they're on Missouri's roster, they'd be Missouri's best players. Like they're, they're really, really good college basketball players. And that's Kansas is used to kind of having, um, you know, a, an elite guy or two. And even if, if Bill's able to kind of develop those guys, like you look at, uh, you know, at Shane Graham or Frank Mason guys that weren't supremely highly rated, but still turned into, college all-americans and they just they haven't really been able to kind of get those guys and, and the investigation plays a role um but this is not a kansas podcast um no. we we do like to uh rib them and i do think it's hilarious uh that you know the day that missouri sort of gets into the top 10 is the day that uh, you know kansas falls out of the poll completely um and the the, the tweet that i i published for Rockham Nation. Uh, Matt, I, I believe, is still going. It's got like 200-something retweets, like over 1,200 likes. It's been, you it's, caught the zeitgeist. It's, it's been a while since a Rockham Nation tweet has has been that popular. I, I think it's, uh, it's kind of a minor miracle. I think fans are excited for Missouri basketball for a change. And, and, uh, and so here we are. So we're coming off a, uh, a successful week. I think we kind of looked at it and thought, hey, like, you still are probably feeling pretty good if you go one and one and Missouri went two and oh. Uh it was sort of an unorthodox way of, of getting to two and oh. Um they they handled Kentucky. Um it was probably a little closer of a score than I think a lot of people would have liked. Um you know, but I, I feel like they did what they needed to do. It did have a little bit of like an older brother, little brother, um, even though like you would in most cases kinda consider Kentucky the older brother. Missouri is by far the more mature team. And it did sort of feel like, you know, they, they were just doing just enough to, to make sure they were able to kind of hold Kentucky at bay. Uh, Alabama was a completely different animal. Um, I'm sure everybody that listens to this podcast, or, or most of you probably watched the game, you watched this terrific uh, lead get built up, and you saw it whittle, get whittled down to a single point. Uh, panic sets in. Missouri was able to hold on with, with – uh, you know, three defensive stands in a row uh, and really kind of get the job done. Uh, so congrats to them. They now hold uh, three wins this season over teams that were in the AP Top 10 at the time that they played them. Uh, those wins are Illinois, uh, Tennessee, and Alabama. Um, two of those at home, one of those on the road. Uh, so successful season keeps on rolling, Matt. The Tigers are 13-3. and three. Uh, You have any major takeaways from the Kentucky game or you just want to just kind of gloss right over and right into alabama oh we can gloss over the kentucky game but outside of it's all it's only missouri's second all-time program win against kentucky i'll say this about the kentucky win missouri did what it needed to do against a program where the worst case scenario has played out on almost every front outside of a six-minute window where Fouls quickly piled up on them. They had to try and triage it. Kentucky took advantage of that of that little block of time. Outside of that, 
it was Missouri, I think, that had like a plus 15 scoring margin. I mean, it was not... That, that six-minute span made the game appear much closer than it was. And, you know, you talk about Missouri holding on late. Missouri made, in, like, enough plays throughout the remaining 14 minutes or so. Every time Kentucky got it down to seven or eight, or even, like, maybe six, Missouri made a couple plays, extended it back out. Kentucky had to try and push the rock back up the hill again. <laughs> and then you saw... And for a, for team. A, t- a team that is as bad as Kentucky has been all year long in like the final four minutes, they did exactly what they've done all year in the final four minutes, which is yep. basically pissed down their leg. Yeah, and so you can talk about Missouri finding a way to win. I think they did what they needed to do and held serve. Well, Kentucky um, also shot 45% from three-point range. Uh, in that game, and this is a team who is actually on the year shooting worse than Missouri is from three point range. So uh, they came out with their best shooting performance, and they still lost by five. Yeah, it was. It is what it is. The Alabama game is more interesting to talk about, mostly well, because. Well, I you and I—I I mean, you and I spent probably fifteen minutes before the podcast, you know, talking about this game. I, I think. What frustrated me about that game was that seven days earlier, you saw what happened when a team backs off the throttle and you take advantage. It was just infuriating. And you're you're so, talking about you know how TCU really kind of changed their own you know pace of play and allowed Missouri to get right yeah. back into the game. Yeah, just open the door, and you and I talk about it or allude to it. Just keep playing. Like, don't, obviously don't get too risky, but you were doing things well. You had a game plan, you were executing it. Just keep doing it and make Alabama stop you. Yeah. I, I don't understand. You can argue that they had, you and I think that they started to kind of ease off the throttle. With 12 minutes left. Some fans would disagree and say, oh, they didn't really chop the lead down until the final six. Whatever. The last six minutes were clearly not... Missouri was not operating off the same script that it had for the first 34 of that ball game. Yeah. And you could watch it in when they were running their half-court sets. It was not the same approach that they had to build that lead. And I get frustrated and this will see again to kind of my my weekly rant about why people shouldn't be mad at Kim Pom. Kim Pom is going to like look at every possession you play. Kim Pom doesn't go, oh, those first 30, those first 28 minutes when you were kicking their ass, we're going to weigh those more heavily than the last 12 of you where you were just kind of bunkering. No, you, you make a decision to try and sit on a lead. Those possessions still count. And, and I just get frustrated when people want to act like there's some sort of visor act that like these well, metric so, systems don't make sense when Missouri made a conscious decision in that basketball game to try and sit and try and bleed clock and not value possessions in a certain way, which is to score points. When they became risk averse in their approach to possessions, the results of that approach are now reflected in their Kimpom rating. It it's not it's not bias, it's not a screwed up algorithm. It's a reflection of the decisions you make while the game is playing and from possession to possession. So, well, and I, I, I brought up also, you know, as we were kind of chatting um, today about how, you know, football and for those who, you know, follow our former leader, Bill Connolly, uh, know that he has like garbage time statistics, uh, which factor into a team's rating much more so than, um, you know, than, than, than basketball. So basketball doesn't do that. You know, each possession is valued the same. So if you have a 50-point lead and you put your five walk-ons in the game and then they give up 20 points and don't score, Ken Palm is going to look at the, entire, the entirety of the game. And we really, like... Ken Palm's algorithm, like it's not Ken Pomeroy. (laughs) 
Ken is a great guy. He was very smart uh, analysis um, when, or, or data analyst when it comes to this stuff. Uh, you know, Bart Torvik is another guy, same kind of thing. Um, you know, they, it's, it's not their ranking system. It's a ratings algorithm that is trying to uh, predict outcomes, basically. Like, that's how Kempom got into uh, that this whole system was was to try to match as closely as he could what what Vegas was basically already doing in determining like what the odds are going to be going into a game, uh, and th- and that's what came into it, his system and really sort of birthed um, or helped birth the uh, data analysis um, you know boom in, in college basketball. So I think what uh, what we don't get is 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 you don't get uh like version a of missouri where they're playing and attacking and and you know really trying to just win the game as much as possible versus you know passive missouri who is just trying to you know get to the end of the game and 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 there are kind of two different teams that we've seen at times where uh when they're fast and aggressive and and you know and and attacking the rim and and getting to the backboard and all that kind of stuff like missouri's one of the best teams in the country um but what is holding them back from being rated as one of the best teams in the country and instead just you know being barely in the top 30 or or i think they're 20th in uh in torvik's ratings um what's holding them back is all those other possessions where they do kind of look lost and they don't uh, they don't play as aggressively, and and um, you know they they're trying to elongate possessions as opposed to you know just continuing to attack early and 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 doing the things that kind of got them ahead in the in the first place. And so one of the things that I kind of wanted to talk about with this Alabama game is is you know I, I do think it's important because I was kind of reading uh, Rockantology. I think Sammy's doing an awesome job with those. Uh, kind of putting putting together like a bi-weekly thing where we can get an idea of where Missouri is going to fall in in the bracket based upon all the brackets that are available. Um, and I do think that there was some, some commentary where people are like, oh, well, you know, like I'm worried about like Missouri's ceiling or whatever. And it's just like they're, they're talking about, uh, you know, Mizzou's ability to sort of make it deep into a tournament. Um, and you know, like uh, March is a is like a, a fickle, fickle thing, <laughs> and it is for everybody. Like it's really, really hard to win an NCAA tournament, um, especially this year. I think right now what we're kind of looking at is there's there's two elite teams, right? Everybody yep. considers Gonzaga, Baylor, two elite teams. There's probably well, like eight. Uh, yeah. Mi- Michigan, Ohio State, Villanova, Illinois, Houston, Virginia, Iowa, like kind of in that. Yeah, I mean, there's like this group of eight-ish. Eight or not. Yeah, teams that you're like, all right, those teams are really good and can make a Final Four. Um, I don't know that I consider Missouri to be in that group, but I know that Missouri has beaten three teams who at one point I considered to be in that group. Like I've, I've hedged since on Tennessee. Uh, I, I still think that defensively they're as good as you can get but you know the ball handling is like it was big, beginning, of this, beginning of the season it was a major concern you know maybe springer playing more they're going to figure it out who knows if they do they're in that group of eight teams um you know but missouri's beaten alabama and illinois who are in that group uh so is missouri capable of putting together the right kind of run to get to a final four. Yeah. Are they likely to? Eh, not, not really <laughs> because as well as they are capable of playing at times, they're also capable of not playing well. They're capable of playing the way that they do against Bradley. If, if you, if you come out and play like second half of Mississippi state, uh, the whole game of Bradley, um, large portions of the game against TCU, uh, the Tennessee. last five minutes, yeah, Tennessee, last five minutes against Alabama, 
then you are not going to beat a team in the Elite Eight. Or in the Sweet 16. But Missouri has beaten the kinds of teams that they are likely to face in a Sweet 16. So I don't think th- they... that, that's not like a guarantee that like they're an Elite Eight team. The, the issue with this season, and, and I've been saying this all along, is we're going to see a, a wild, uh, even more wild variance of, of outcomes because of the situation that everybody is playing in. Uh, and I think that Missouri has been uh, as consistent as almost anybody. The problem is, is everybody's inconsistent except for Gonzaga and Baylor. <laughs> You're going to run into an issue where when I look at, I mean, I look at bracket matrix and I tend to look at where Missouri moves in like the day or two after a win. Like usually there's about 25 to 30 bracketologists that will update. And those are the most recent results. And that's a good enough sample. That's probably 40% of the people in that, that bracket matrix tracks. And I look at their average seed. Missouri has been moving over the last three weeks between 3.1 and 4.5 in the immediate aftermath of games. So it's when you're looking at what Missouri's seed line is, and we're talking about ceilings, I kind of think they're already there, barring Bama slipping and Missouri reeling off seven more wins in a row and they get to 13-3 and Bama opens the door for them. Right. Then maybe you talk about a two or a one, but I like I they I don't think that they have one. I don't think the SEC is competent enough. No. But yeah, e- even if, even if Missouri like went undefeated the rest of the way, like they they don't have what it takes to get to a one seed. Like their resume no. isn't good enough, and the remaining games in their schedule is are not, not strong good enough. enough. Now, if they get breaks and there's some cannibalizing that happens in the Big Ten, um, maybe and. Maybe a two. Maybe a two. But what you're seeing right now with the results in hand, with most of their quad one games all, you know, in the rear view, probably a three. So the question then that you ask is, how good of a job will the committee do at seeding teams? Because if they're going to go, what they've said is they're going to follow the S curve pretty hard here. Um, and... In the past, they could have, a, when they were doing regional sites, the prevailing thing, the prevailing factor was distance. They would try and avoid conference, conference matchups, and they'd try and shorten travel distance. Now that we're doing four or five bubbles in Indiana, they're going to just S-curve it. So you're really now looking at where are teams falling on that S-curve, and is and how accurate is that? Um now, if you're believing that they're going to use net as their tool, we've talked about how this year, while we believe predictive metrics are really, really good and really, really valuable, it's a wonky year for everything. So are you going to wind up with some variance in seeding? Are you going to wind up with a team like Loyola Chicago or Drake that's underseeded? Are you going to wind up with a Big Ten team that gets underseeded by a couple of lines and suddenly you're getting a team that should be a four or a five seed on the six or seven line. And you're facing them in the second round as a two or as a three or four seed. So that's, that's really the question I think you're going to run into is, are you, are you going to have some seed line issues that come into play? So that that's going to impact the ceiling as much as Missouri playing is what the committee does and how they sort of look at, the resumes this year and put teams on that S curve. But as far as what Missouri's ceiling is, they're there. The quality win opportunities are, are mostly gone. I, I was looking at this earlier. They Ole Miss is technically a quad one win. Um, Arkansas will straddle the quad one quad two line. And if Florida can keep its act together, that'll be a quad one. one. So you maybe have two to three more quad one win chances probably two and after that it's a bunch of it's four quad two games and then a&m is quad three like they're i mean missouri if they go 
two and zero this week would potentially be six and three in Q one games and nine and three against Q one and Q two. Like th- there's just not enough left to juice the resume outside of winning the SEC tournament. Right. That yeah. that that. So if you're looking at ceiling, that's that's really where we are at this point. Yeah, they they pretty much. Uh, I mean, just kind of looking at the rest of the schedule. There's there's two games that can really kind of help their seed line and basically a host of games that will only maintain it or hurt it <laughs> yeah so and even even like the home home game against arkansas is like that's debatable whether it would help them um i think you could probably make a strong case that it would help them sort of hold uh, yeah, but a, but a road win at florida would certainly uh and yeah. I, don't, I don't know that it would give them a boost it might you know take them from you know being like the the third three seed team to like the first three seed team or something yeah. like that. Like it, it, because at that, because at that point they're going to have, if you get through this week undefeated, you're as close to a lock as possible. And I know that's going to scare Missouri fans or a segment of them, <laughs> but if you're 15 and three, eight and three in your conference with a six and three record in Q one games and nine and three against quad one and quad two, you're a lock. There's, and there's not a, a Barring an epic collapse, you're still going to make the field. You're not going to be a great seed, but yeah, like you take care of business this week. Say you pick off Georgia. I, there's no damage you can do in those final four games to take yourself out of the field. Yeah. So we're basically one week away, a productive week away from saying Missouri's probably as close to a lock as you can get at this point in mid-February, and then you're playing to lock down your seed line. But as you said, there's not much outside of a SEC tournament run that can juice their seed line anymore. So you're starting to see it. It's probably a high three seed. And then you're just rooting for the bracket to break your way. So this, uh, this Alabama game, um, a lot was kind of made of the, uh, the, the meltdown. Um, and so I, you know, you, you and I kind of talked about this before the pod, but I kind of wanted to revisit it uh, for the listeners, because I think this is sort of interesting topic so the final run uh if you you know break it all down was about 21 to 2 um it obviously was some scary times for missouri uh that lead evaporated in a hurry um the amazing thing to me is other than that 21 to 2 run that alabama did not have another run the entire game so a run is typically uh six to zero so where you have scored six straight points or more um you know and then as it gets up it gets kind of like i i i guess it's it's sort of interpretive (laughs) um but it's typically it starts at 6-0 alabama did not have a single run uh outside of that 21 to 2 run uh they put together uh, one, I guess, you know, five zero 0 uh, spurt and then several other 4-0 spurts. But nothing uh, nothing was, was basically longer than four or five points other than their 21-2 run. Uh, Missouri actually went on uh, two 7-0 runs and an 8-0 run in the first half. Um. So that's uh, 14, that's 22 to 0 total. Um, a second half run, uh, well actually that was this was a, a end of the first, beginning of the second half, that was 12-3, and then another 6-0 run in the second half. So if you just tallied all those up, it ends up being like like 40 to 3 uh, of, of runs that Missouri had. Um, now granted, interspersed in there is probably several times where Alabama's kind of hit running off like, you know, four points in a row (laughs) several times. So obviously it's not 40 to three all at once, but if you would like, would you rather be the team that had, you know, 40 to three total runs or, or 21 to two? I think most people would take that 40 to three. The other way I look at it is in the first 10 minutes, Missouri, outscored Bama or in the first 10 to 11, 32 to 18. So plus 14 
Bama closes with that massive run down the stretch. So you're at minus five there. Missouri basically won the middle 20 minutes of that game by eight points. And the bulk of that was during that run that kind of overlapped the first and second half. Yeah. So it was, that's kind of how I approached it. Now, the issue is how that run happened. Um, as we mentioned earlier, I don't credit Bama for taking advantage of the opportunity, but I think Missouri in some ways um, left the door open for them. Or, and, and listen, it's not my job. I don't, I've written this several times. I don't get paid $3 million a year to make these sort of executive decisions, but it seemed Missouri backed off the throttle, particularly probably with six or seven minutes to go. It just decided we're going to try and sit on the ball. We're going to try and, you know, bleed some clock. And you mentioned it when we were talking before. That plays into Bama's hands because Bama's a team that's not. They're a pack line team with a bunch of length that wants to get in gaps and they will try and poke the ball away. And when Missouri's trying to run its offense and trying to bleed down clock, you're just letting Bama load up. And what Missouri was doing well, I thought, in the first half was, aside from you know pushing off long misses and trying to get in transition, they were just attacking with a little bit more urgency earlier in the clock. They were running the same kind of actions, but they were running with just a little bit more pop, a little bit more pace. And there was, I think there was just a little bit more urgency in how they were operating in the half court. I didn't see that down the stretch. You mentioned it, and I saw it as well. There were several possessions where it seems like Pinson wasn't following the diver the way he was in the first half to really get into the heart of that defense. It seemed as if Missouri sort of said, let's just try and land the plane. You know, if Bama chips it, that's fine. And Bama showed what Missouri did, kind of mimicked what Missouri did against TCU. It didn't, it didn't just kind of passively take it. It tried to get back in the ballgame, and then it ramped up pressure on Missouri. I think Bama goes on a 6-2 spurt. They get the lead down to 13. They come out of the under four, and then they spring the press. And that, to me, changed the complexion of the game. Bama, between 5-10 and about two minutes to go in that three-minute stretch, asserted itself, and Missouri just didn't find a way to stop that runner to stanch that momentum. And it almost cost them. What's funny is like I even kind of read a few you know comments along the way, which always happens anytime a team presses Missouri and 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 a comeback ensues. You know, it's it is sort of blamed that the uh, the the press was to uh, you know to blame it. the press breaker wasn't working, and it it felt like. You know, and it does. It feels like in the moment when there's a press that there's a little bit of panic. Missouri didn't turn the ball over against the press. No. Their turnovers, and I think they, they had two turnovers in that stretch, um, were in the half court. Yep. They, they had broken the press. Uh, I think Drew Smith had one um, where he just got his, his pocket picked. I think there was another uh, kind of sloppy turnover around the baseline. Yeah. Um, but but but, but what job. the press does, and and what I think it was effective at doing, and this is something I was actually going to bring up, um, you know, why Missouri was successful against Alabama early is because they didn't let their defense get set. Uh, Alabama gets a lot of credit for wanting to play fast, and they do play very fast on offense. They play slow on defense. But they play slow on defense. They're two hundred forty six they... in, in in tempo on D. Uh, and and third on offense, so they get the ball, they they shoot it quick, but then they really make you work, uh, and and they really do want to sit, uh, and like you said in the pack line, they they want to sit back, they want to use their uh, their length along the perimeter, and they want to you know make you try to move the ball uh, with active hands, and it it's tough to do. I mean, even during the game when Missouri was building their lead, I felt like. Missouri had a hard time, you know, in their half court. Once they were able to get the ball past that initial, you know, pack line and 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 drive the ball to the rim, I thought they had success because Alabama doesn't really have, uh, you know, a, a true rim protector. Um, and Missouri makes good decisions depending on 
depending on the day, X can do it. But Missouri generally makes good decisions once they get to that second level and how they and their reads and what they want to do there. But the key yeah. is, can you crack that second level? And that's what I was talking about. I felt like they were letting Bama load up that side of the floor, particularly when they were running those pick and rolls. It's almost in the slot to a side pick and roll. So you can load your early help. And if when you're spacing that corner, if it's like Mitchell Smith, okay, fine, we'll let you shoot that jumper. We'll, you know, we'll, you know, you know, we'll pre, we'll flood the we'll flood it. We'll just bring a, your that defender in. We won't defend that weak side corner, and we'll just load it. And that it felt like at that point it didn't matter if Bama was long enough, had enough height. You're going to have to drive through four long dudes to get to the rim. Yeah. And if you were even going to try and make the right read to dump to Tillman, there's now an extra help defender there. So it just felt, and on top of that, now you're not dictating the terms at which tempo is being played. Bama's pressed you. They've made you bleed an extra seven or eight seconds. Now you're having to hustle into your offense. You're not setting good screens. You're not getting good angles. You're not letting Tillman roll out enough to really get that separation to create that path you were chasing, it just felt like Bama dictated the terms of those final four or five minutes, and Missouri let them do it. Missouri set themselves up to go through that. And again, you know, we're not in the huddle, we're not making those decisions, but that's just what it looked like from my perspective. Was they they willingly seeded momentum in a game that they had been dominating for thirty minutes? And I'd also like to point out. Um... I feel like I used to say this a lot more in the past on study halls. I would sort of make, uh, and I guess maybe since Missouri is winning, I don't have to like think about this as much. Um, but Mizzou had as, I mean, we, we all at this point know Missouri is not a great shooting basketball team. Um, they've had three of the last or three of the last five games. Um, you could even go to four of their last six. Um, where they've shot 38.5% or better from three, including three games that are over 40%. Um, So they've raised their three-point shooting on the season a little bit. Uh, I think going into the game, they were a little bit over 30%, 30.1% or 2%, something like that. Uh, Missouri shot 15%. They were three of 20 from uh, from the three-point line. The only game this year where they've shot worse was against Bradley. Uh, we all remember that game and how that went. Uh, so this is a whole. This is another sort of part of it that um, Alabama shot their average. Uh, they they hit thirty, I think five or thirty six percent. That's about what they shoot on the season. Um, Missouri shot fifteen percent below their uh, their normal mark. So if they make two or three more threes, and I, I think I, I mentioned this before as we were talking. So many times this year, it feels like Missouri kind of comes up with that needed jump shot uh, at the right moment in the second half. Maybe a team is uh, is creeping back into the game, and and you know Mark Smith's zero of six at this point, but damn it, he hits that one right, yeah. and and he he makes it, and suddenly you're it's back to an eleven point lead, and Missouri is able to kind of coast uh, the rest of the way in. And I really kind of feel like several of the threes that Missouri took, like they kind of expected those shots to go in, and they just didn't. Um, I feel like Missouri's offense was better against Alabama when they were attacking early in the clock and they were getting to the rim. Um, They didn't do that in that last stretch, and they settled for jumpers. But if one of those jump shots goes in, it's a completely different ballgame. And then, you know, like, and I think that's, that sort of thing. So at any point of, of the, the first half, second half of Missouri just makes a couple more jump shots. Uh, like, you know, Alabama's basically pissing in the wind at that point, and it doesn't matter what press they do. It, it's, uh, you know, it, it's only when they get that, take that lead from like 13 to 7, I think, is, is, is sort of like the range where you cut it to that. Now it's like, okay, now we have to start playing again because there's three minutes to go and we have a seven point lead. Yeah. Um, but the reality, Missouri just beat a top 10 team at home. And that's a good thing. It's something that, that didn't happen, um, for Missouri for a lot of years. And now it's happened three times, uh, this year. 
So, kind of looking ahead, um, I think we can pivot out of Alabama unless there's anything I missed. There's no, we, we, mentioned early, we mentioned earlier the opportunity to Ole Miss, and this is one of those games that um, – Sneaky trap game, like it. I feel like every time somebody says it's a trap game, that automatically means it's not a trap game because you've recognized it's a trap game. <laughs> uh, that that fun semantic loop there of declaring something a trap game no longer makes it a trap game. Um, but just an interesting matchup, I guess. Uh, diff- Ole Miss is ugly on offense, um, but man, they they will make it into an ugly, ugly grinder at the other end of the floor. Um, and it took down Tennessee last week. Um, so there's some risk when you go into Oxford. And there's a scenario under which uh, this thing becomes a slog. And maybe the jumpers aren't falling. Maybe there's some turnover issues. And it gets into a tight ball game played in the low 60s. And you don't make enough of those kind of plays you're talking about right now. You don't have one of those jumpers drop or you bleed out a few too many possessions and suddenly you're taking a three or four point road loss so it's 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 not a trap game but there's some risk associated with this one uh uh yeah i mean it's Ole Miss is a team that uh they're about what i thought they would be kind of coming into this year yep um I thought some of the early prognostications were way higher. I think even Ken Palm at one point had them in in the, the 30s. They it looks like they got as high as 33. Uh, I never really thought of them as being that good. I just didn't like the roster. I didn't like having to rely on Devontae Shuler. Um, you know, Devontae Shuler is, is uh, he's a guy that, I mean, if you've watched Missouri play Ole Miss at any point in the last four years, you remember him. He's he's a really athletic guard. Uh, he's capable of being great. Um, he's also capable of being awful. Um, he's just as likely to, uh, you know, shoot like six of eight from three-point range as he is to shoot 0 for six. And and so, like, that inconsistency uh, and having to rely on a guy that, that's sort of been like that, I think, is one of the reasons why I was a little hesitant Um you know, and then I was kind of thinking that, you know, Matthew Morell would be a guy who might kind of come along more later in the year. Um, you know, he's had very little uh, opportunities to kind of, you know, break out. He's just sort of been a guy that they've relied a lot more on Jarkel Joyner, which I don't really think is a, That's not a, a, good, a sign. good sign. I mean, he's a transfer from Cal State Bakersfield, who I think walked on last year as a transfer, and I think he's probably on scholarship this year. But yeah. then you've got KJ Buffin as a guy who I think I like. I've always liked as a complimentary guy, but he's you know his usage at this point is like it's about twenty percent of possessions, and that's just like that's awfully high for a guy with his skill set. Uh, so I mean, it, it makes sense why they're offensively challenged. Um, which this is what I would say. Which of the of all these transfers that, or all these new additions that were supposedly impactful, has really stood out? It's Romello White, a guy right. who was a ten eight dude at another high major program. Yeah, it, it's what we said in the preseason. When you turn to up transfers, you can expect efficiency dips. You can expect for production dips, especially if they're making like a jump from a program that was like 100 spots behind their new program in Kimpom, which is what was happening with Joyner, which was going to happen with Demencio Vaughn. Remember when everyone was loving Demencio Vaughn? He averages one point a game. He barely sees the floor. He did not play against Auburn. A game where you would want as many guards on deck as possible. Uh, he played like one minute against Tennessee, two against Georgia, eight against Arkansas, four against Texas A&M. Meanwhile, you have Matthew Morell, who is was a, a top fifty high school prospect, but again, I, I still a, love like the ceiling on this kid. I just I love I the mean, ceiling on, but, yeah. but you would have, but I would have thought he was going to be better than he's been. He's been good. He's been passable defensively, but offensively, it's just it's been pulling teeth for him. You know, he, he hasn't made to, a two point shot since uh, January twenty third. Like I said, struggle bus. And <laughs> I think the the real 
disconcerting thing for me would be Austin Crowley. What? And Tavian Column. Huh. It's just where these are sophomores that you would have expected to take some sort of productive leap because those are gonna be the guts of your program moving forward. Romello White's gonna be gone. Devontae Schuler's gonna be leaving. Kadeem Sai's leaving and rotating out. Demencio Vaughn's gonna be gone. And now you're gonna be having Jarkel Joyner, Matthew Morell, who's coming off a struggle of a freshman year, Austin Crowley, Luis Rodriguez, and Antavian Collin, and KJ Buffett. Like I know we're gonna we're focusing. We should focus on the game coming up, but I think what we're both alluding to is if Miss if this was the old Miss team that a lot of people thought they were gonna see, we wouldn't be having this very conversation. Luis Rodriguez would not be a guy who's getting who's getting a ton of run the last five games. A guy whose one offensive skill set is occasionally knocking down a jumper, but is really out there for defensive reasons. Robert Allen is a black hole offensively, <laughs> or black hole defensively, I should say. But KJ Buffin's not exactly giving you much either. So I, it feels like what they're relying on is Devonte Schuler having, you know, clicking that night. Joiner finding some some semblance of efficiency, and Romello White being a reliable third option. And then you're hoping for somebody else to step forward. Maybe it's KJ Buffin making some nitty-gritty plays off off the glass, on dump-offs. Maybe it's Rodriguez knocking down some more threes than usual. I just, for a team that was supposed to have a bunch of diverse options, they really only have, what, two, two and a half offensively? Yeah. And don't get me wrong, defensively, they they guard their asses off. They, they, they execute Kermit's matchup zone kind of press system really, really well. Yeah, they do a lot of different things. Uh, they, they'll junk they it do up. They'll, a lot of them well. <laughs> they force turnovers. They keep you off the glass. They make it a frustrating experience defensively. But you got to score the basketball. And I just don't. I like I look at the roster and I don't see three or four guys that can consistently score. And you know who would be nice to have right now? Mr. Blake Henson. <laughs> yeah, about that. Um, so but, yeah, I mean, Ole, Ole Miss is a good defensive team. Um, they're, but they're about like, you know, they're a lot closer to Kentucky uh, as far as being a good defensive team versus uh, Auburn or not Auburn, excuse me, Alabama or Tennessee. Yeah. Um, I still think that the. You know the the issues that I was concerned about with with Ole Miss kind of coming into the season and where they are now. Um, I think this is a game that, it, like, very clearly you can go on the road and and lose. I mean Tennessee lost, and I mean Tennessee has struggled a lot uh, at times offensively, maybe even more so than Missouri. Uh, but you know they're still a good team, and 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 they lost at Ole Miss. So I I think from that standpoint, I I really kind of feel like like Martin will have this team ready. I think the maturity of uh, the roster is is something that will, uh, you know, like I'm sure they remember uh, what you know going down to Ole Miss what last year. Um, Played well enough and didn't hold on to the ball, and 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 lost. Um, yeah. what was it two years ago or three years ago they went down there and won? Uh, it was uh Martin's first year they went down there and won. So it was the, yeah, I mean it, it's a it, it's a it's a tough place to p- play. Uh, Kermit's a good coach. Um, I I think that they're going to be ready, but I don't know that that's going to be enough to to win the game. Like I think there's a reason why this is like a a projected one point win as opposed to like a projected five point win. Like like this is a tough team, and if if Missouri plays the way that they're capable of defensively, I think that they can do enough on offense, particularly with Jeremiah Tillman, um, you know, in and around the rim. I think it's it's kind of time to get Tilly back involved 
if if that happens, then I, I think this is a game where you know Missouri can win as comfortably as you can expect them to win uh, in Oxford. Arkansas uh, will be interesting just because they have a key asset back on the floor that they didn't have in the first meeting. Uh, Justin Smith is healthy, and I, I think I pointed this out to you before we uh, hit record. When he's on the floor, Arkansas's net rating is plus 27. When he comes off, it drops to plus 8. Uh, we can do subtraction on dive cuts. That's a difference of 19 points per 100 possessions, Sam. That is close to Sharif Cooper territory. Auburn was 21 points better with Cooper on the floor. So I feel like having Justin back is going to make a, a, a critical difference uh, going into Saturday. So, yeah, Arkansas is an interesting team. And, and I think Arkansas is, is they're looking about, you know, we were kind of talking before the pod. They're looking like we thought. Yeah, they're looking a lot more like we, we thought they might. Um, obviously, the uh, the start for them was, was not great. You know, they beat uh, Auburn without Sharif Cooper and then lost to Missouri and Tennessee, beat Georgia, lost to LSU, Alabama. I mean, that's a stretch of four games. <laughs> uh, three on the road, too. Three of them away from home. Yeah, uh, it's a really it's a really tough stretch, um, and you certainly would have liked to maybe gone like one and three as opposed to zero and four uh, if you're if you're Eric Musselman, you know. But but that's sort of the breaks. It's how it went, and so now they've got uh, Kentucky. It's Monday, so they got Kentucky tomorrow night, um, and then Missouri for the Rally for Ryan game. So uh, both of those games are away. Uh, Arkansas has lost three of their last four road games and the one win was at Vanderbilt granted they beat Vanderbilt by 21 points again they didn't have Smith for those road losses though this is they're they're in the stretch of the schedule I think I projected them to start like two and five they had Justin Smith at Oklahoma State that they did that they did so I'll I will take the mulligan on that one but (laughs) You will but, take it. Uh, and he did play a little bit against Alabama, but uh, that's his first game back. Yeah, you know, they were he, he only played him, 18 man. minutes. Uh, I don't. I don't think you would say that he's fully back. No, um, he was running mostly with reserve units in that game, so they weren't putting him into full service. Was, but I, that was an ugly, ugly game for them too. Was, so I, I think you could probably sort of wipe that one off the yeah. map. As that's that's far more of like outlier for really both teams. I mean, Alabama played really well and Arkansas played really horribly, and that's how you get a thirty-one point road loss. What people may wonder: Why do you guys care so much about Justin Smith uh, defensively? Offensively, he's not great in the half court. Um, he's actually pretty mediocre in the half court, but he's really great running the floor for them in transition. And Musk wants to play fast; he wants to get them out in the open court. So that's where his value comes offensively. Defensively is where he comes in. Uh, we saw it a little bit, Missouri's first trip down to Fayetteville. He covers Connor Vanover in pick-and-roll defense. Either one, he goes out and he is the big man in their pick-and-roll coverage, or he's the guy rotating over if Connor gets Connor can't keep the ball in front of him. They did not have that in Fayetteville. It was causing some issues in terms of who was rotating down, over, helping, just all kinds of problems for them in ball screen defense. He is strong enough to tag Tillman as a roller, so that is also a big deal because there was not anybody on Arkansas's roster who could really, you know, impede Tilly's path rolling to the rim for lobs. So that's where I think you're going to see his impact show up. Maybe not in the box score offensively, but I think he's going to help them sort of counteract what Missouri wants to do in those ball screen situations. Um, And if Arkansas gets out and pushes a little bit, it's always good to have another guy who can run that wing and kind of be aggressive attacking the rim or at least get himself to the line. He's a really, really athletic dude. Really, really athletic dude. can get on the glass, too. Kind of help them kind of shore up the rebound margin a little bit. Um, also really interested to see how well Moses Moody plays. Uh, I'm a big fan of Moody. Uh, he's they struggled against like teams that I think are over 500. He's only averaging only averaging 15 points per game, but he's his three-point shooting percentage dips by about five or six points. Um Sometimes they go away from him a little bit. Uh, he's not always the most assertive guy. He's more of a catch-and-shoot option. So, curious if Moody shows up and has a real impact on the game, whether that's shooting, whether that's 
using his seven foot wingspan to get in passing lanes and create turnovers. Really interested to see what the like I said what the impact of Smith is and how they defend pick and rolls and will Moody uh, have an impact on this game whether it's shooting or his or some off ball defense and and creating some run out opportunities for them. Well, and I do but, think it's it's also worth noting how like weird of a game this was the first time uh, Missouri played Arkansas. And it was it was at Bud Walton. Mark Smith and Drew Smith combined for 14 turnovers. Missouri had 21 turnovers total. Uh, <laughs> they were 19 to 32 from uh, two point range. Obviously, Jeremiah Tillman and Xavier Pinson had big games. Uh, so they while they were shooting the 60% from the rim or, or around the rim, Arkansas was 12 of 43 from two point range for a robust 28%. Yeah. Um, like I and I don't want, want to necessarily say okay like you obviously you can't count him repeating that I don't think you, you necessarily even think about you know can we repeat that kind of uh, game I think if you're Missouri you're looking just as much at Mark Smith and Drew Smith uh, wanting to value the ball <laughs> yeah giving the ball away 14 times uh, and if you can like let's say Drew Smith turns the ball over three times and Mark Smith you know turns it over four times well that's uh, you know, like that's cutting that in half. So that's seven more possessions in a game where you were averaging one point, you know, per possession. Um, and and so, okay, so that's going to put them a lot closer to ninety points for the game. Uh, and and so now, like, if Arkansas shoots a little better, um, you know, let's get back to kind of like their their averages. Now it's it's a little bit more of a competitive game. And so I think I think this is something that. Um, you can definitely like look at the first game and say, okay, like this is how we are going to defend them. This is what we're going to try to do uh, to prevent them from from scoring. I think you know Mizzou can kind of give Sills and Tate um, and Note like a you know a lot of trouble around the rim. Um, but you also got to play better offensively. Like I I don't think you can necessarily count on Jeremiah Tillman going going wild uh and i don't know that you can count xavier pinson going to the line 15 times if they do great um but it would certainly be nice to see a little bit more of a balanced effort see drew smith kind of continue the way that he's played here uh recently with a little bit more confidence offensively mark smith um you know for all the things that mark smith you know has sort of struggled offensively he's just such a damn good defender um you know, and even in that game, so he had eight turnovers. He also had nine rebounds. Um, so I don't think like you can overlook that. And he did like he did make two threes, and one of them, like we were kind of talking about earlier, where it seems like Missouri uh, kind of comes up with the shot at the right moment. I'm trying to remember exactly when it was, but you know, Arkansas kind of closed the gap a little bit. Mark Smith hits a three, and and suddenly you know Missouri is 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 coasting the rest of the way. So. Um, this is a, yeah, this is a game where, so this is really a, a week where you have a road game against a team that is a winnable road game, a home game against a team you've already beaten once. You go two and zero, and and you you are really setting yourself up for a a, a really strong finish. I mean, after Mississippi, Arkansas, you get Georgia, South Carolina, Ole Miss again at home. Uh, Texas A&M, and then Florida. Um, yep. I just, like, I don't necessarily, like, if if Missouri's going to drop a game, like, the rest of the way, like, I would, the Ole Miss game, to me, stands out. I think you got to find a way to beat Arkansas at home. Uh, you win three in a row, uh, or, sorry, four in a row, um, and then, you know, you can take a coin flip and, and see what happens in Florida. But um... I, I even, I've been consistent and adamant throughout the year. It's about getting to 10 SEC wins. You get, you get there. I think over the last five or six years, 80% of the teams that get to that mark, make the tournament, get to 10. That that's, that's the goal. You're at six. Now you got go four and three down the stretch, get to 10 wins with your resume. You're in. It's that's mission critical this year. We can talk about where you're seated or improving your seating or your ceiling. I'm. This is probably why Missouri 
segment of our fans thinks I'm a pessimist, but the goal is just to get into the NCAA tournament. That's mission critical right now. You, you want to be playing consequential, consequential basketball in March. You need four more wins to really all but lock that up. You're in good position right now. You're probably maximizing your seed ceiling right now. Now is not about doing any more work. It's about consolidating and shoring up the work you've already done. That's what this week is. It's you know putting more in savings and banking some more credibility and just doing what you need to do. The hard work, I'll probably jinx this by saying this, but the bulk of the work for building a resume is done, or we're getting we're going to be close to done at this point. If you're still hunting around for quad one wins midway through February, uh, you're in some trouble. Missouri's not in that position. So this week's just about doing what they can to go into the final weeks of the season and consolidate what the, all the hard work they've put in through you know the first two months of the season. Well, how about uh, we just do a repeat of what we did last week? Um, win two games, maybe in less uh, heart-wrenching fashion. Uh, on the on the weekend, uh, Missouri also has a uh, an unbeaten streak in the Rally for Ryan game, so they got to hold that up at the very least. And and you know what people also got to do? Cut, cut some checks, get the credit cards out, make a donation for uh, pediatric cancer research. Got to do that. Well, so Rocket Nation is running a uh, a very fun Matt. It's very fun little fundraiser. Um, we put the fun in fundraiser with uh, with Rally for Ryan. Um, we did this last year. Kind of talked to um, to Brad Luz about it, and uh, we kind of worked out a fun little thing. So if you head over to RockamNation.com, you'll see a link for the uh, Rockham Nation Rally for Ryan pledge drive. Uh, please sign up. Um, everything is going to Rally for Ryan, which is t- you know doing what it can to fight uh, and research. Um, cures for pediatric cancer, which Matt is the uh, number one uh, killer for uh, for children. So it's it's one of those things that where you kind of want to fix that, right? Oh yeah, uh, from having part of my work <laughs> uh, deals with this. Um, it's you would think that sometimes pediatric cancer research gets uh, a lot of money. Sometimes it doesn't because a lot of times. The families that are experiencing this are not well off. Um, it, that's the insidious nature of this. It hits uh, all socioeconomic levels. So if you have grateful patients, sometimes they are raising a family and they may not have a lot of money to give uh, to support research. You're also looking at still even comparatively to other cancers, a small pool of people. Um, and so while we all think it's awful, it's still a relatively modest uh, research area compared to some other ones, so that's hard to raise money for. It's great that Missouri does this. It's great the athletic department puts its weight behind it, um, and I, I can say this from having seen families who benefit from this research, especially in immunotherapy uh, here at Indiana University, which is a big thing. Uh, it matters uh, to know that there are people out there that support you that want to make the best treatments, the best diagnostics, and the best care available is uh something that heartens them so whatever we can do whatever you can do uh to give them that hope and to give uh great clinicians and great physicians and oncologist resources uh do it that's all i can say just do it um you'll feel all the better for it yeah and uh as i even said in the post we don't care how the money gets there just that it gets there so if you just want to skip the fundraiser altogether and just donate directly to rally for ryan there's a link to do so in the post so go to rockham nation uh and do that uh, i'd like to see a whole lot of a lot of folks signed up for it um that's all we're gonna do this week we're already over an hour damn it matt we went over an hour again um but we will be back next week because we will have to review what happened against Ole miss and in arkansas and uh and previewing the uh the next week's game so if you have any complaints, anything that you want us to know about, please at Mitch um, on Twitter and, and, and I guess confess all your sins there. 
Uh, if you have any questions that you want us to answer, you can always hit Matt or, or me up on Twitter. He is Matt uh, J. Harris 85 I am Sam T. Snelling. Uh, or you can just at Rock'em Nation. Um, that works too. Because I'm there tweeting straight fire these days, Matt. Straight fire. That's what the kids say, right? Until next week, <laughs> thanks for tuning in. <laughs>